0: Welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I'm your host and the editor in chief, Brock Wilbur. How is everyone doing this week? Seems like it's a nice time. It's been incredibly sunny. Uh, Finally mowed the yard for the first time uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, for the second time in a row, keep finding baby bunnies uh, just before running them over with a lawnmower, which makes me terrified of mowing the yard. I'm very I'm nervous for the day that something goes wrong there but for right now I just sort of go very slowly and have this eagle eye and uh yesterday uh, at least one of them uh sprinted across the street just before the mower got there and then I noticed a whole bunch more of them uh so it just sort of let them be and waited for the other one to come back and so there's there's patches of grass in my yard that like they're just not getting taken care of anytime soon that that two foot square spot like it's fine if it's an eyesore uh, to the neighbors that's just how it's gonna be uh, celebrated my wife's birthday Vivian Kane happy birthday to you um, We had a wonderful time we had a couple of friends come over and sit. Very, very far away from us, while we watched movies like *The Talented Mr. Ripley* and *The Invisible Man*. My wife uh, likes a, a wide variety of of films. Uh, my gift to her was actually uh, to pay for this big vacation that we had planned for June, uh, but next year. Uh, so it's it's a it's a birthday present for this year, and according to her, that should also cover me for next year. So birthdays, that's taken care of. That's all good. What's been going on in Kansas City this week? We've been covering uh, a ton of stories on thepitchkc.com, which we hope you would come uh, check out. Uh, This is actually me recording in the office right now because it is deadline day, and we are trying to get out July's magazine, and oh my God, is it good. It is our 40th anniversary issue. Wow, we made it. Didn't think that we were going to get there, especially in the last few months. Uh, Please help us out to continue uh, getting better at this and, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, we can't do it without your help. We really, really can't. And I can't share that enough. Uh, okay. Um, uh, we, uh, oh, there's, uh, amongst the stories this week, uh, that we've covered, uh, there is a local dog walker who at one of the police protests, uh, was hit in the eye with a rubber bullet and was permanently blinded. Um, that's one of those, uh, interviews that you do that, um, start to finish, you're like, I, I'm crying a little bit, and I'm really angry. Uh, and then you you think about it for the rest of the week every time you're trying to go to sleep. That one's uh, not great. Another kind of a bummer one, but a celebration of life. Uh, Pablo Saunders Jr. Uh, was a local bicyclist uh, who was huge with that community and and was killed last year. Um, the uh, The biking community here really got together to celebrate his life um and uh we have we have a really nice story uh about that written by a, a a friend and a family member uh so give that a check out on on our site um yeah Ooh, whoops didn't mean to bum everybody out um trying to get back to work here real quick uh but uh this is a great episode uh the interview is with Lisa Benson who some of you might remember uh from a few years back was fired from her job after twenty years as a television news reporter for posting an article on her personal Facebook page that made her coworkers angry uh, because it was an article about uh, white people being sensitive, and uh, some of her white coworkers felt physically threatened by it, and so she lost her job. so there's a lawsuit, and she has a book coming out. Our interview is fascinating and uh, very timely to a lot of things going on right now Uh, so uh, first things first here's nick's music corner
1: hello i'm nick Spasic, music editor for the pitch here with this week's local music recommendation for the 10 years that musician jonathan brokaw has been releasing music under the header of all blood project has been everything come love and die was lo-fi solo recordings and the kids have no taste was a full band garage rock project Brokaw's latest All Blood album, Feeling Good 2.0, is a follow-up to the original Feeling Good released in 2011. Whereas that album was a murky bit of dystopic noise, Feeling Good 2.0 sees the All Blood sound blending elements of Panda Bear and Of Montreal into dark indie pop. When I reached out to Brokaw, he said the style was this, quote, mixed brand of jangle pop and bedroom pop, end quote. If the album's cover art featuring the musician wrapped in a blanket with a microphone in front of his thermometer-filled mouth surrounded by pills doesn't clue you into Brokaw's sensibilities, using a pandemic to talk about love and romance and relationships ought to hammer them home. Uh, Feeling Good 2.0's opening track Social Distancing demonstrates that pretty well with the lyric, everything must now become chaste, being especially spot on. Brokaw describes social distancing as, quote, about questioning the nature of identity and its fragility in the face of isolation and mortality, end quote. It's catchy as hell, though. You can find All Blood's Feeling Good 2.0 at allblood.bandcamp.com, as well as via Spotify and most digital retailers. Here's social distancing.
2: A temperature spike in the evening It melts me from six feet away This virus that now rules the day. Nothing is lovely, nothing is worthy. Everything must now become chaste. Oh my glory, oh God who plunders.
0: now my interview with lisa benson lisa
3: benson welcome to the show how are you today
4: i'm good thanks for asking
3: uh so uh, i think that a lot of people locally definitely know your story and and certainly uh nationally too because i knew your story before i moved to the midwest uh, would you like to tell the people the, the sort of the adventure that you've been on over the last few years
4: Sure. Well, um, in 2015, I filed a formal complaint complaint against my former employer, KSHB-TV, E.W. Scripps, for race discrimination, and then in 2016, it became official that I transferred over to a lawsuit, and then in 2018, while we were essentially preparing for trial is when I shared an article on my Personal Facebook page about white tears, and two of my former coworkers, um, white female coworkers, saw the article um, on my personal Facebook page and complained to HR. They complained to uh, immediate management. And within a day, I was suspended from my job, and then I was ultimately terminated from my job for creating a hostile work environment by sharing the article on uh, my Facebook page, which was actually a Guardian.com article on their Guardian.com website. And it was entitled How White Women Use Strategic Tears to Avoid Accountability. And that pushed back my discrimination lawsuit uh, trial date. And um, once that got pushed back, and, of course, I'm just kind of now at this point fired. And ultimately, we ended up in a federal courtroom, and the jurors sided with me in regards to retaliation, and they sided with the um, Company in regards to discrimination. And so that's kind of where I am now. And during my journey of trying to understand why my former white coworkers, who actually my friends, like I didn't even know they didn't like me anymore until this happened because when I was suspended, they didn't tell me why. They said it was for creating a hostile work environment. And they they said they got a couple of complaints that I created a hostile work environment. And I was honestly trying to figure out what I'd done because working in television news, I find that our um, personalities, kind of even our sense of humor gets a bit crass because you are honestly always responding to crime themes and things that most people don't deal with on a daily basis. You're interfacing, you're reading the complaints, you're talking to cops. So um, there's a level of almost normalcy that comes with crimes almost working in this industry. So I'm like, did I say something? Did I laugh at something? Did What happened to where I'm creating a hostile work environment? I had no idea why I'd been suspended and then ultimately fired. But once the um, discovery started with the case, it became clear that my two former white colleagues slash friends at the time, was so offended by this article that I shared on my personal Facebook page that they complained and said they essentially didn't want to work there if I continued working there. That's what one of the ladies said. And, um, and so, again, after my, um, my termination, I just got on this quest for understanding. I didn't get why I'd worked in television news for more than 20 years, and it was very customary for us to categorize black people, the Hispanic community, the Asian community in groups. We've always been gr- group. There are black churches, there are black neighborhoods, um, you know, there are black civil le- justice leaders, but the idea of white people being grouped was so offensive to my white coworkers that they demanded punishment, and I was absolutely punished for that. And so my just journey for understanding that whole racial dynamic, the racial hierarchy that we see play out in institutions that we're all a part of just led me to the place where I am now, where I do diversity, inclusion, anti-racism trainings, because I feel as though um, a 20-year veteran in the field of mass Com, communications, broadcasts. I've worked in newsrooms in Missouri, Illinois, Atlanta, and this was something that was unknown to me. And so I'm sure there are other people who are racially ignorant and are allowing systems to play out in their very faces. they don't realize are detrimental to people of color.
3: Now, every part of your story uh, is, A, one, uh, wild and awful, uh, but B, two, uh feels like it is something that, like, uh, uh, predated uh, a place that we are in now by just a couple of years. Like, I feel like your story could happen every single day today because as we see on, like, social media, uh, the sort of people that find uh, Karen or Becky to be a racial slur are the sort of white people that keep getting filmed, doing terrible things, and then responding in kind with that. The idea that you got in trouble for pointing out that white, white people can act like this and that it made white people hyperact like this. I remember reading about it in in a national news story, and I think that that the part that taught me was that it was your private personal Facebook page, and, like, I've shared wild things uh, on um, on my page before, and, like, you didn't, like, write when you were sharing the article in, like, your post, you didn't write, like, this is about my coworkers. Didn't you, like, write just, like, a Martin Luther King quote or something like that?
4: I didn't write anything on the post. Oh, there's nothing on the post at all? No, no, I just shared it to my um, personal Facebook page. I just did a share. And, um, yeah, it had nothing to do with work, ironically. I had not had any experiences with white tears at that point. I had had experiences with tone policing. And so the article actually talks about tone policing. And that's when you are in a conversation with your superiors or bosses and say you're talking about said Issue. If I'm saying that the room is too dark and I need more lighting so I can do my job effectively, instead of my, my superior saying, "Hey, let's fo- focus on the light," instead the conversation goes to why are you so ag- your tone why is your tone so aggressive? Um, you know, you really need to work on your tone. And we never address the fact there's simply not enough light in the room. And that's something that did happen to me at work. But so the white tears aspect of the article to me was interesting. It was fascinating, and I absolutely saw value in the lived. Experience Experiences of these women of color. The article was very well written by Ruby Hamad, but the part that resonated with me personally was the tone policing. However, my sister works in corporate banking, and she talks to me, and she's in leadership there. Um, so she talks to me all the time about trying to drag, or you know, drag her, um, her subordinates into a meeting and talking about them, you know, their goals, their smart goals, what they need to be doing. And the hardest thing that she has to contend with. As, um, as as management as leadership is when they start crying, and she's like, "Lisa, I don't know what to do when my these white women start crying. I don't know what to do because instead of us being able to talk about our smart goals, what we're working towards, now they have to be consoled, and the whole conversation ends. Which means I never ever get to hold them to account, to hold them accountable to what I need from them in order to perform in this bank and to meet our goals. And so that was something that she and I had just had conversations about over the years. She's been in banking since we were in literally high school. And so that part of the particular article actually read to me, reminded me of my sister. So I shared it on my Facebook page with the expectation of having my sister read it, and I was into the tone policing part. And so really the article, i was it was literally 9.04 on a Wednesday night when I read the article. I took the boys down, and I shared it, and I wanted my sister to take a look at it too. At the time, I thought that was a great way. I'm like, hey, check out uh, this article on my page. But, obviously, by the next day, I was suspended. And my sister did read the article, and she absolutely agreed with that, and she, too, saw value in the article.
1: <laughs> it, it,
3: is, it is well that you're also it, the, you're a 20-year journalist in the field at this time, and, and what you got in trouble for and lost your job over was not your own journalism, but merely acknowledging the existence of someone else's, and that your coworkers would feel it a personal attack that you would share this on your Facebook page. <laughs>
4: Right. Yeah, that's the part that really did baffle me, which is why I knew from the get-go there was something else at work that I did not realize at the time. Now I know it because I've done the work, and in fact, I pursued my diversity and inclusion um, certification through Cornell because I was so committed to figuring out what is happening here. Not only have we talked about uncomfortable topics, I mean, that's, that's what we did in the news. We talked about, unfortunately, murders, rapes, assaults. I mean, we followed stories for years on end. It's, it's a bleak have,
3: business, yeah. You, you just well, have to have it's a, a big, certain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you
4: have to have tough skin to be in the business because there were some um, public cause statements that brought me to tears. I've been in court cases that literally I had to go to the bathroom and sit there and cry just to get back in the courtroom and continue to do my job. And so this business within itself can be very traumatizing and difficult, you know. I mean, tough topics, they're real. Tough topics are a real part of television news about drug abuse. Journalism, And so the idea that they would read this article and be so offended that they said that it created a hostile work environment, which means they could no longer work around me. In fact, Krista Dubill, who was the main anchor at the time, told HR, I think this is a fireable offense. They won. Day one, she and I both were working moms. She and I both were breadwinners in our household. Uh, She and I both were boy moms at that. And so I had no idea that she felt this way about me. I was surprised. I'm like, why would a fireable offense, not a, hey, talk to her, see if she'll take it down. I think you, should, you all should discuss this article with her. That was never, ever in the conversation. They never, to this day, and I've been gone for almost two, two years now, um, they've never asked me to take the article down. From day one, it was always about the punishment, me being punished for daring to read that article and share it on my personal Facebook page. So I knew immediately there was something else going on here. It wasn't about this, the contents of this article being so offensive. It, there was definitely something else going on, and obviously the work that I do now is very clear to me what was
3: going on. I mean, it, it, I've seen coworkers share heinous things before at other jobs, and then just been like, well, not being friends with Greg anymore—that's pretty simple. Like, you can just the idea of taking it to a superior is so strange, but it's so it's so extra here that you couldn't just uh, have to deal with like this whole fight. You also had had to find an answer so you had to go into the education system to find out what was happening
4: yes because i didn't understand it i grew up i was born in st louis missouri but i grew up in moberland missouri which is a majority white space this is a very small town with white people a lot of white people i assimilate well to the majority space i really do i assimilate well to whiteness so i did not get it i legitimately did not get it and thankfully i was um, absorbed into these spaces with women and women of color who were doing this work so I did not. It was offensive to me because the very women who were so offended by me and started not talking to me are the very women that I literally danced at their wedding. So I did not get why these Jesus. white girls were so mad at me. Like, why are you so mad at me? What happened? And I talked. I mean, we talk about race. Race is a real part of journalism. It's a real part of news. It's a real part of our life. When it comes to people of color, I did not realize then what I know now that race is not a factor for white people. When you talk about white people, they do not want to be grouped with one another, even though they will willfully group us with everybody else. We are all part of a group, and white people believe they're all individuals. I didn't realize that, so I didn't realize how offensive that article would have been. Less
3: individuals than just the, the standard. That is what I'm Right, saying. it's the standard, <laughs> right.
4: There, and then, uh, it is the standard, absolutely, but also they don't want to be assimilated with white people who do bad things. And so their argument would be, if that white woman in that situation did that, that's her. It has nothing to do with me, whereas that luxury is not given to people of color. I cannot tell you how many times in that newsroom I've been confronted with questions like, so why do black people do this? Why don't black people do that? And now I would not entertain that question, but for the more than Twenty years I was in television news. I would absolutely sit there in my black skin and try to conjure up an answer for why black people do that. Why do black people do this? Because I didn't even have the racial intellect to realize that I cannot answer for the actions of individuals I've never even met. But because we too are socialized in that space of racial inferiority, truth be told, we feel as though we have to speak for the entire group. We have to be something for the group, and our our accomplishments are for the entire group. You're the first black woman to do this or uh, this is my first time even having a black friend at this level. So I'm like I'm now feeling as though my relationship with my white friends and these white coworkers are now representing the group, which means if I open this door, then there are other black people who can come behind me. And that is a responsibility that a lot of black people to this day still hold up and still take into whatever boardroom, newsroom, a C-suite they're in. And that's not something that white people have the burden of, but black people do. And that's acceptable. Based on our culture of this, our, uh, social, uh, socializing our culture this day, and that should not be fair. That's not fair for Black people to have to carry the burden of the group when white people aren't expected to carry the burden of the group.
3: There's, there's also, uh, I mean, your story is is one of decades of, of stories of, of generation of uh, journalists uh, during sort of a racial gatekeeping. Uh, Philadelphia O'Brien came out over the weekend and said that when she, when she visited uh, CNN. The, uh, the producer there told her she could only book the right kind of black guests, and, like, the list of who was the right kind and who was not the right kind is is just bizarre. Uh, like, I, I, I know that your experience must not be singular.
4: Absolutely not. It is um, – the sad truth is I'm happy that we're at a place now – in society to where people of color, specifically black people, are are able to tell their racial truths. But there have been a lot of just um, compromises that are being made on day in and day out basis for people of color, specifically black people, to simply fit into a space. I mean, it has everything to do with, one, your skin tone, because colorism is a real issue. The texture of your hair, the way you style your hair, the way you dress yourself, they are all representations of who you are, where, again, the same thing is not necessarily true for white people, um, whereas black people are absolutely defined by the way they present themselves into a space. And also because we do have um, my book actually um – I refer to it as one of the good ones. Okay, one of the good ones, which means they're all black people. They're unacceptable, but then there are a few good ones that are picked out to where they are acceptable. Which is why you can work at this job, you can have this particular position, and you can be my friend because she's one of the good ones. And that's why you'll—that's how you'll get conversations like, well, she's really smart, or he's really smart, or oh, he's very articulate because normally black people are not, but she or he is one of the good ones, therefore she's articulate, he's articulate, she's smart, Um, he's very well-read. All these things, because it's assumed that black people are not articulate. They're not well-read. They're not nice, kind people. And so, yeah, I agree. I definitely know that there are conversations and stories about people of color, specifically black people, that my supervisors at KSHB had no interest in telling. In fact, the day I was suspended and ultimately fired, I had two jailhouse interviews um, of black men that never saw the light of day, never saw the light of day, which means we planned for the stories. I went to the jailhouse, did the interviews, and I did the support interviews from the attorneys and their family members to tell their story. And understanding, understand journalism as unbiased storytelling. The idea is this guy has a story to tell, and I want to tell his story. We want to tell his story. But once I won, I had to fight to even do the interviews. You have to you have to get clearance, of course, from the Department of Corrections. But at no point those interviews ever see the light of day because my white superiors, my white female bosses didn't feel as though their stories were worthy to even be told. That's how irrelevant these people were. And, those, and I'm using those just because it just breaks my heart that I wasted their time. And, of course, because of their lived conditions, they were looking forward to hearing their story. Um, but, again, you have primarily white females in these newsrooms who decide whose stories are worthy to be told and whose stories are not. And oftentimes, if you're not the right type of black, your story is irrelevant, and that is still true in 2020.
3: Finally, where can people find your book?
4: Well, it will be on Amazon. I'm actually waiting for my hard, first hard copy um, to arrive in the mail, and so within the next week or so, so it will be available on Amazon. I'll definitely um, – upload opportunities up to my website, which is lisabenson.org, because I'm looking forward to sharing my story, and it will, again, it should be available within the next week or two.
3: Well, thank you for sharing it with us today. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
3: All right. Have a wonderful day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.
0: And that is Streetwise, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe, tell friends about us. More importantly, please come check out all the great work we're doing at thepitchkc.com. Please contribute if you can. Pitch in, we'll make it through. Bye,
3: bye, 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 bye.